From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. Something that I encourage people to consider when they're dealing with their money is that they might have some money rules. They might have some money habits that they're accustomed to as an employed person. They might have some money dogma that they're accustomed to as an employed person that I would encourage them to at least relax and question when they make the transition to self-employment. Today on episode 71 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Mark Butler. One of the most challenging things about going solo is the nonlinear aspect of your income. In this episode, Mark explains why it can be so stressful and what you can do about it. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Mark Butler. Mark is the founder of the accounting startup Let's Do the Books, as well as the bookkeeper, CFO, and confidant to top online entrepreneurs like Brooke Castillo and Stacey Bayman. Before working in finance, Mark co-founded three online businesses that brought in close to $2 million in total revenue. Today, Mark combines his business savvy with his certification in life coaching to help business owners take control of their finances and work through the shame and anxiety that almost always comes up when dealing with money. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy to have you on. How did you get started in your business? In this particular business, I got started when those those businesses that you mentioned earlier that I sold, I sold them for, you know, it was a nice little amount of money, but it wasn't an amount of money that would set me up for life or anything. So it was sort of like, you know, that was a really fun month and then I needed to go get a job is really what it, what it looked like in uh, late 2012. So I went to a friend of mine named Jesse Meekham who started a, a company called You Need a Budget, which is personal budgeting software and sort of a personal budgeting philosophy. And I said, can I be your staff writer? Because he knew me as a, a copywriter in my own businesses and trusted my skills there. So for a year, I became the staff writer for You Need a Budget. After a year, I wanted to make more money, but I saw that there wasn't a lot of mobility in the writing position. So I asked Jesse if I could start a consultancy inside his business, helping his software users actually implement what the philosophy behind the software. He let me give it a shot. And within about six months, I was working with about 30 of his customers, helping them implement a cash flow management philosophy inside of his software. After that six months or so, he came to me and said, look, we're really not a consulting business. We love software. That's where all of our margins are. I'm not that excited about the consulting model. Why don't we wind it down and have you be sort of a business evangelist? So you'll, you'll tell the world that they can use our software to manage their cash flow and you'll create content around that, but you won't actually do sort of consulting or done-for-you services. And I agreed with him that that was the right move for his business, but I was really enjoying my work at the time. So I asked him if he would let me buy my clients from him and go back out on my own. And he was really supportive. I bought my clients from him in late 2014. And ever since then, I've been, uh, you know, kind of gone solo as this sort of CFO and bookkeeper for hire, specifically focused on coaches and consultants. So you saw a need, you made a proposal um, that led to some business. And then there was an unexpected opportunity that you pursued. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that's great. Were you ever an employee in your life? 
I was an employee for sort of the, I've kind of been in my working life now for, I guess, 16 years or so, 16, 17 years. For the first four years, I was an employee and I was in a commission sales position and then a sales management and training position. Then I went into the first, I went into the first kind of round of self-employment in the businesses that you mentioned earlier, those that I sold before I went to work for Jesse. And then for, I worked for him for a little under two years as an employee before going back out on my own. So in my employed life, I've probably spent about six or seven years as an employee and the rest, uh, about a decade or a little over a decade now as a self-employed person. Mm. So you've seen both sides and seen the, I guess, the, the pros and cons, the challenges and opportunities of both being an employee and being an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, I would say at this point, I've, I've experienced both pretty well. Mm -hmm. And then are all the people that you serve entrepreneurs? Yes. Okay. All of them are. Okay. Do you work with consultants or coaches that have started their business after many years in corporate, like 20 plus years? Let me survey my client list in my head. I don't think 20 plus years in... Oh, you know, I, not a current client, but I, ha I had a client before where she she had spent probably close to that amount of time in corporate before going out on her own. Mm -hmm. And do some of them, like you, have experience both as an employee and as an entrepreneur? Yeah, all of them started in some sort of traditional job as an employee and then decided they wanted to go do something entrepreneurial and made their break. Good. So then when they've made that break and they transition into entrepreneurship... What kinds of challenges have you observed that they have when it comes to money? You know, that's such a good question. Well, oh, so specifically when it comes to money, I would say the biggest thing that's hard for them to adapt to or get used to is the idea that money no longer arrives on a set schedule in the form of a salary. So for whatever period of time they were in the employed world, they just got used to having that paycheck or that direct deposit arrive every other Friday or on the last Friday of the month or whatever it is. And I have noticed that they find it pretty unsettling when the money doesn't come on a set schedule anymore. And I, I totally get it. It's something I've been able to talk through with a lot of them and say, look, it, this is how it used to be. It used to be that you received your money on a set schedule and you also re received it in a set amount. And I think it's kind of unsettling for you. And it might even be more unsettling for your partner or your spouse but I hope you can reframe this in your mind as, a, as something that's good for you because yes, your money now comes in on a variable schedule and in variable amounts, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing. That's not just people I think tend to sometimes catastrophize that and say, well, what if the right amount of money doesn't come in? And I say, well, look, sometimes the amount of money that in your mind you've defined as the right amount, it won't come in, but other times a lot more than the right amount in your mind will come in. And that's sort of, that's what we accept as self-employed people. And we learn to operate within that paradigm. And we end up, we end up, hopefully we end up loving it and, and seeing how it benefits us. But the transition period can be pretty, pretty agonizing for a lot of people who are accustomed to that fixed schedule income. Mark, would you say that money coming in on a set schedule at a steady amount is one of the biggest impediments to people leaving corporate life if they sort of yearn for some of the, what they perceive as some of the benefits of entrepreneurship, but they don't do it, or it takes them a long time to actually make the break, or they wait until they get fired before they decide to become an entrepreneur. Would you say that money coming in on a set schedule is one of the biggest lures to staying in corporate? 
Yeah, I would say it's in the top two. I would say it's the most publicized one. There's a you may have heard of a guy named Taleb, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, who's wrote, written a few books, and he has this um, he has this great quote there. He says the three most dangerous addictions are heroin, carbohydrates, and a monthly salary. And I don't. It's not that I agree with that. I just when I first saw it, I thought it was so funny because it really it really illustrates to me the power of that idea. The idea that money needs to come in on a certain day in a certain amount in order for me to feel safe is is the hardest thing for a person to adapt to when they make that transition from a corporate a corporate lifestyle to a self employed lifestyle. So I think sometimes it's almost kind of a red herring though, David, where people say that their biggest fear is the variability in the income but they also haven't fully accepted or acknowledged the fact that they have learned to operate within a certain social and kind of uh, political, if that makes sense, environment within their corporate lives. And those things kind of get, once you make a transition to self-employment, those things kind of get thrown out the window. So a lot of the things that sort of helped you be successful in a corporate setting, they don't really translate to a self-employed setting. And I think that ends up being maybe the more painful part. Once a person realizes, you know, I can, I can get consulting gigs, then what they have to deal with is their discomfort associated with having their, um, their day-to-day, you know, sort of what makes any given day a success in the corporate world is, tends to be very different than what makes any given day a success in the self-employed world. And I think that's a hard adjustment for a lot of people to make. Yeah. You said there were two big issues that keep people in corporate. So is the social, political, organizational support piece the second one besides money? In my opinion, yes. And how much do you think people making the or or desiring to make the transition from employment to entrepreneurship recognize the social, political, organizational, structural piece before they've made the transition? I think they tend not to recognize it. That's my opinion. I, and I think that very often, all of us, I should say we, because I, I was in a very similar situation. I think we tend to view the social, political, and organizational things as the things that we're trying to escape because we maybe we don't like the rigid structure, we don't like the political games that are required or that we perceive to be required in a corporate environment. And we want to escape those things, but we may not be acknowledging how much we've come to rely on them as part of our daily and weekly routines where we know what's coming. We know we know about the meetings that we're going to participate in. We know about the boss that we have to deal with, the coworkers. We know how to navigate the whole thing. And then when we move into a self-employed world, my observation in talking with people who have attempted that transition is that they kind of have a hard time dealing with the voices in their head that that come in when there's kind of empty time and space, you know, and when there isn't a meeting to go sit in that, you know, your life used to involve so many meetings. Now there isn't a meeting to go sit in. There's just sort of you and your computer. The voices in their head can kind of get loud and get counterproductive when you don't have some of those things to fall back on. So I think that we need, all of us, we need tools to help us make that transition. And we need to give ourselves a lot of compassion and grace as those voices in our head magnify. And we're trying to figure out, okay, well, who am I now and what do I do? We need to recognize that it's not that self-employment is bad. And it's not that we're bad at being self-employed. It's that we're dealing with a whole new set of stimuli that we haven't had to experience before and that we need to give ourselves an opportunity to learn to ha- to, to work with those stimuli and, and kind of stay happy and healthy as we make the transition from corporate to self-employed. Yeah, I would agree with you, by the way, that I, from what I've observed, for those making the transition from corporate to self-employment or entrepreneurship, um, especially those that are going 
into single person consulting or coaching businesses that the social and structural pieces are huge and that individuals are not terribly aware of them until it actually until they experience it and it really hits them. And I one of the things I hear about is the loneliness of entrepreneurship. You know, on the one hand, we look at it as being very freeing, but on the other hand, it can feel very lonely. And then yes, there are all these self-imposed voices that go on inside our heads when we we lose the structure, we lose the the social routine, and it can be really hard for people to deal with that. I agree. And I if uh, you know, being fully transparent, I would say that loneliness, I would say it's probably been my biggest challenge with my, you know, 10 plus years of self-employment. Once I, having started in a commission-based lifestyle, the, the variability of income never really bothered me as a self-employed person. I kind of got trained to deal with that. But for me, the loneliness has been a big factor and it's just sort of feeling disconnected from other people. Luckily, I think there are things you can do to deal with it. You can sort of try to mimic or recreate some of the things you got from the corporate world in the form of meetings and sort of like the water cooler, you can recreate those with other consultants. This is something that I've done. And, and you know, you and I in our, in our world, we'll, we'll often call these things masterminds. But just a couple of weeks ago, I reached out to a couple of peers that I've got relationships with. And I said, look, I, I want to have just sort of a group of people that we get together every couple of weeks and not with no structure. I want us to have some structure associated with these interactions. But the biggest thing is I just want to have interactions. I want to, you know, how are you doing? What's the latest with you? What's going on with your business? How about your family? And I just want to be able to connect with you and recreate some of the good things that were in the corporate world without some of the bad things. The nice thing about being able to create that kind of a meeting schedule is when you're not operating within a, a corporate structure or hierarchy, you really are just extracting some of the social and productivity benefits of those things, especially because you get to handpick the group of people that you're meeting with. And then you don't have to deal with the other stuff. So it can be a hard transition to make. But my advice to anybody who's making it is, number one, I would say seek out a group of people that you can create that that connection with. And also, I would say to self-employed people or newly self-employed people that they would be wise to almost counterintuitively constrain their number of working hours or the number of hours that they make available for work and to actually schedule in time away from their desk. Now, in the time of COVID, this can be trickier depending on where you live. But, you know, schedule things like getting out and going for walks, schedule things like anything that gets you away from your desk so that when you're at your desk, you're pretty clear on here's what I'm doing right now. And when you're not at your desk, you're out working in the yard or taking a nice long walk with the dog or chatting with your spouse, your partner. But constrain your working time because sometimes the more time you give to your desk, the louder those voices in your head can become. I don't know if you've experienced that, Dave. Oh, yes. I found that um, one of the benefits to being in my own business, and I was employed for many years before I started doing this, one of the benefits is that I get to create the structure that I want, but I also recognize that the structure is really important for me to be able to feel good about what I'm doing and to be able to perform well. Yes. So I yeah, totally I agree with you. Mark, I, I want to shift. I want to talk a little bit more about the money piece, which is your specialty. Sure. Can you talk a little bit about the shame and anxiety that comes up when dealing with money? 
Yeah, I can. You know, the anxiety piece is largely going back to people being used to having that that paycheck arriving on a certain schedule and having a certain portion of that being contributed to a 401k, for example. All of that has a really nice clean structure when you're an employed person, but when you're self-employed, you have to create that structure. And then the success of the structure is is completely dependent on you. So that's really where the anxiety comes from is, is that I have a certain amount of consumption that I'm used to in my life. And I have a certain amount of savings that I'm used to in my life. And I and maybe as a, as a corporate employed person, I had a specific plan for my long-term and you know retirement. And I was working that plan and it all felt very good and predictable. And then as a self-employed person, I probably have to have more flexibility than I've ever had. Now, it doesn't mean I have to accept a, a, a different or a worse outcome, but it's that I things don't look maybe quite as linear as a self-employed person as they as they're perceived to be for an, an employed person. So something that I encourage people to consider when they're dealing with their money is that they might have some money rules. They might have some money habits that they're accustomed to as an employed person. They might have some money dogma that they're accustomed to as an employed person that I would encourage them to at least relax and question when they make the transition to self-employment. For example, if I'm accustomed to contributing a very standard amount to my 401k every other week, and I've done that for years in, in my employed life, as a self-employed person, I might want to shift and say, well, you know, the way I do my consulting or whatever I do, money kind of comes in in large amounts, maybe in the early part of the year or at the end of part of our end of the year when corporate budgets are trying to get spent. And that's when my clients tend to hire me. So instead of thinking of my 401k contributions as something that I do on an absolutely fixed schedule, maybe I recognize that I have an annual goal for my contributions. And I work toward making that annual contribution as opposed to requiring myself to meet that every other Friday contribution. Not that I'm ever encouraging us to accept in the long run less savings or, or less progress. I just am encouraging a little bit of relaxation in the timing of things because if the biggest battle we're fighting as newly self-employed people is the battle between our ears, then forcing ourselves to stick to the exact same schedules and amounts that we're accustomed to probably doesn't help us in that in that battle inside of our heads. So we have to just be willing to reframe things. That A lot of the anxiety comes from our unwillingness to reframe how we've looked at money before. That even can extend to things like debt, credit cards, for example. Now, I'm not, I'm hoping that none of your listeners have to use credit cards as a, as a financing vehicle for their new consultancy, but that does happen. And in my opinion, it's not a disaster when it happens. We might want to be a little more cautious about our use of debt, but in an employed world where, where credit cards are often viewed as kind of a boogeyman and, and a really bad thing to do, debt, credit card debt being a really bad thing to have, part of the reason they're viewed so negatively is because we tend to operate within a very fixed range for our income as employed people. But as self-employed people, we have the ability to reprice our products, to offer different products and services, and we have the ability to change our income quite a bit in a relatively short period of time. So if we find that in order to make this successful transition to self-employment, we find ourselves with five and 10 and maybe $20,000 on a, on a credit card, I hope we can recognize that as self-employed people, we have the opportunity to sign a new client or to offer different products and services to the same client in larger amounts that would eliminate that credit card debt pretty quickly. So I don't want 
an investment in our new project to be perceived as a failure in our finances when we've done it intentionally with the goal of actually creating something new. So not to be casual or careless with, with debt, debt tools, but also not to beat ourselves up if we decide that using them is our, is our best path forward. Mark, for somebody who is an early stage consultant or coach, what are the most important steps they need to take when it comes to dealing with their money? I think one of the most important steps they can take is to do some scenario planning for their first at least six months, but probably more like 12 to 18 months, where they allow themselves to do some very blue sky planning with their finances to say, if I'm able to leave my job and then land these clients as I'm hoping and planning to and have those clients pay me this many dollars, then that's going to keep my lifestyle even across that period of time. Or maybe there will be just a little bit of you know, cutbacks in my personal lifestyle, but nothing significant. I would encourage them to do that kind of planning, but I would also encourage them to do a worst case plan and say, what if I don't get any clients for the first six to 12 months? What if I have a significant health issue in those first six to 12 months? What am I going to do? How will I approach that? Do I have the ability to fund that and to let themselves fully experience the worst case scenario mentally and emotionally before they leave the, the weekly paycheck? Because if they'll allow themselves to fully experience the worst case scenario and then go do it anyway, the worst that can happen is probably what they've already allowed themselves to think through. The reality will probably somewhere be, be somewhere between their worst case plan and their totally blue sky plan. If they've done their planning correctly or if they've done their planning thoroughly, my expectation would be that they're more likely to create the best case plan because they won't panic when things don't go perfectly in exactly the time frames that they're hoping for. And what if they have already left employment, either voluntarily or not voluntarily, and mm -hmm. they're in the early stages, but they haven't made those plans yet? Is that still the first thing they should do is create those, those two scenarios? I would, yeah, I would still do it because I think they can have a really effective planning session in just a matter of a couple of hours, you know, if, or even a couple of days. I mean, if it really, if they had to gather a bunch of their personal financial information, spending history, whatever, just to really analyze, what does it take my life? How much money does it take to make my life work realistically? That just takes either a few hours or a couple of days. If they have left their job and they're trying to figure out, you know, how do I make this work? How do I know that I'm going to be okay? After just those few hours or a couple of days of planning, what I would tell them is that cash is oxygen and that really when they're considering how to spend their day and their week, almost, actually, it's funny you ask this, David, because it reminds me that oftentimes when I'm talking to someone who's making a, a transition from corporate to self-employment, they have this habit of wanting to do a lot of setup steps and sort of organizational steps. And I hear them say things like, well, I just kind of need to get everything organized and I've got my new computer ordered and I'm, you know, they talk about a lot of um, administrative work. And I kind of have to say, look, if there's no money, then the quality of your administrative work won't matter. So if all the administrative stuff fell by the wayside for a period of time, that would be okay if you were out spending the vast majority of your working hours pursuing paying client relationships. Money solves most of your problems as a self-employed person, almost all of your problems as a self-employed person. So get out there and sell, 
and do the configuration and the administrative stuff as an afterthought as you go. But get out there, build relationships, engage clients. Let's get some cash in the door. I tell the people the same thing with regard to their first website. Exact perfect example. Right, right. People spend a lot of time agonizing over what should be on your on their website. And I say, how do you know what people are going to buy? Just go out and talk to people and try to sell something. So once you know what what sells, then you can build a website to try to generate leads and and convert them into customers. One hundred percent. When I when I left employment, you need a budget. I think I had probably I was on a something like an eighty thousand dollar per year run rate with my own income before my business had a name or a website. I would have, I would engage in conversations with prospective clients and they'd say, oh, this sounds so great. Do you have a website I can go look at? And I'd say, you know what, I don't yet. And I would, I would sound very innocent about it. Oh, that's a, that's a great question, I actually don't. So any questions you have, just text me or call me and we'll just chat. Or they'd say, what's your business called? I'd say, I don't know, what, what do you think my business should be called? And they'd say, oh, that's a great question. I don't know, I'll think about it. Cause they don't care what your business is nope. called. They want to know if you can solve their problem. They have a problem that they need solved, period. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So it was a long time before I had a website or a business name or business cards or any of it. I had clients and I had income coming in and that's what paid for the website and everything else later. Yeah. Well said. Mark, if somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today or get in touch with you, where is the best place to go? The best place today is at letsdothebooks.com. It's a bookkeeping service. Because now you do have a website. I know I did exactly right. Now I have the website and, and luckily the money to pay a designer and a team to, to do a decent job with it. <laughs> Seven years later, by the way. I mean, the money was coming in a long time ago, but the website didn't really become necessary till several years later. So let's do the books.com. There's information there about sort of my bookkeeping services for coaches and consultants. There also is a link on that website for 30-minute conversations with me, which I'm always thrilled to do. And anybody who wants to reach out and chat, that's where they can find me. Sounds great. Uh, Mark, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. My guest today has been CFO and founder of Let's Do the Books, Mark Butler. Thank you again, Mark, for joining us. Thank you very much, David. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how to deal with your money when you're going solo and much more. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode. Thank you.